0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. The headlines. Fed Chair Jerome Powell tells Congress the U.S. economy is in a good place but warns coronavirus still poses a risk as China reports its lowest number of new cases since late January.
1: There will be effects on China through through some part of the first half of the year and China's close neighbors and major trading partners in Europe as well as Asia. And we know that there will be some, very likely be some effects on the United States. I think it's just too early to say
0: Bernie Sanders wins the New Hampshire Democratic primary, edging out Iowa winner Pete Buttigieg and leaving former Vice President Joe Biden in a distant fifth place.
1: Our campaign is not just about beating Trump. It is about transforming this country.
2: SoftBank shares get a head start rallying on the news of the Sprint T-Mobile deal approval, but the Japanese tech titan prepares to post a steep decline in quarterly profit after a string of bad bets.
3: Well, we've got oil prices trading a little bit higher today, despite the fact that the EIA has warned that the coronavirus will keep prices below $60 a barrel in the first half of the year. This as OPEC and their allies mold their next move. Here in Cairo, the Assistant Secretary of Energy for the United States tell me that in terms of gas and LNG, Europe is set to be a key battleground between the U.S. and Russia for supply.
4: Russia sees what's coming in terms of the U.S. energy exports. They see the the gas prices in the United States are, are tremendously low. They're very competitive, and we're about to double our export capacity of LNG. So they're, they're fearful of competition.
5: Also, coming up on Squawk Box, earnings in the air. We get the view from the C suite with ABN AMRO, AHOL, Del Hayes, Axonobel, and Heineken, as well as bring you the numbers from Caring.
0: Uh, So welcome back, everybody. Uh, Good to have you with us on the programme this morning. Let's get straight into the SoftBank numbers here. And the market is already prepped for a disappointing number from SoftBank. And we know that has a lot to do with uh, some of the uh, poor investment decisions that have been made around uh, companies like WeWork and uh, Wag, the uh, uh, the startup uh, dog walking business. So, in terms of the nine month uh, operating loss, then we got a twelve point nine six billion yen number here against the previous profit of one point eight six trillion yen. So, the net profit line is a drop of uh, sixty nine percent, four hundred and seventy six point five nine billion yen, the revenue line in at 7.09 trillion, which is just off the previous uh, period figure of 7.17 trillion at this stage. The um, group telling us the operating loss from the Vision Fund and other SBIA managed funds was 797.8 billion in the nine months to December. Uh, that loss uh, rec- uh, represents an unrealized valuation loss of £727.3 billion for a, a decrease in the fair value of investments held by the Vision Fund at the um, end of the third quarter. And of course, uh, Uber and WeWork represent the thick end of those revalue losses on paper for this group.
2: really happy about those two uh, shares parked into the portfolio, but 88 different investments uh, the company was holding at the end of the third quarter, which just explains how complex a company it is. Alibaba, one of the initial investments that this company has had, and it's been uh, somewhat of a savings account or cash cow, however you want to describe, it's been very positive for the company. But the other bets so far have not paid off, and there's been some, some big misses of course, uh, Uber, when it came to the stock market, very disappointing. WeWork didn't even come to the stock market, so that was disappointing too. The other point I'd make is that you've had this activist investor, Allied Management, taking a 3% shareholding and clearly agitating for change. Uh, there was a, a really big gap in the valuation that was highlighted by Masayoshi selling himself, effectively talking about a year back how this company was undervalued. and you think about uh, today's valuation of about $88 billion, versus where he thinks it should have been $270 billion, which tells you how much work the activist might be willing to do behind the scenes trying to get that share price or the valuation higher.
5: And in terms of what the activist is pushing for, you mentioned the 88 investments that are currently in SoftBank's Vision Fund. They're pushing for more transparency. Investors across the board want to know more about the investment process behind SoftBank. Elliot also pushing for share buybacks as a way perhaps to uh, cushion the blow of some of these Bad bets that SoftBank has made. Worth noting on the positive side this week, SoftBank shares have risen on the back of the uh, the U.S. judge approving the Sprint team mobile merger. SoftBank, of course, a major shareholder in Sprint. So not all bad news of late, but certainly a huge amount of pressure on SoftBank.
0: A very good morning, Juliana, welcome to the team.
5: Thank you very good much. Good to have you on board for the morning. Happy to so, be here with you guys.
0: So just to recap that then, an operating loss from the group, the pre-tax down over 25%, the net line down over 69% for the nine months ended December 31st, 2019.
2: I'm just uh, pouring over Heineken numbers crossing from the B company today. I want to start with uh, the outlook. Uh, Sees 2020 adjusted operating profit to grow in the mid single digit level on an organic basis if you just take a look at the 2019 adjusted operating profit organic growth was 3.9 percent so it's guidance of mid single digit uh, slightly higher than roughly where we have been for 2019. In terms of 2020 capital expenditure related to property planned and equipment, it tallies that up to about 2 billion versus a 1.9 billion figure for last year. So a slight increase anticipated. Uh, Also going on to talk about uh, the uh, numbers today that have been forecast. Just want to get into the the, the overall profit number because what uh, the market was expecting was a number of about 2.16 billion euros for the full year 2019 net profit. What we have seen cross is a number very close to that, if anything, uh, slightly high, a little bit of froth on top, 2.17 billion. So the numbers coming bang in on expectations. But uh, that is good news for shareholders. If you look at the performance of this stock, it had that big run up at the start of 2019, that catch up trade, and a little bit more on top over the course of the year. And uh, so far, I want to just get into the uh, overall outlook too on beer volumes, because obviously, very key when you look at that volume ratio, consolidated beer volume 3.1. One percent, Heineken volume itself was eight point three percent, best performance in over a decade, and uh, the numbers I think are very much going to be poured across both of those defensive investors who've been looking to park money in some of these so-called safe havens.
0: Mm. I wonder if um, I mean this is a rather random, left field comment, but mm. I do wonder whether Heineken, which has had its issues in the North American market, will see its brands do better. Because of this bizarre phobia now around corona. Yes. And I'm not making this up. Um, there are people actually searching for the beer virus online because they have misunderstood that coronavirus actually doesn't relate to corona beer.
2: I think the Australians were one of those.
0: Uh, I'm not sure. But I mean, if you just put it into a popular search engine, the beer virus, it bizarrely coronavirus comes up. And as I understand it, there have been some issues in the North American market, particularly where people have been averse to buying coronavirus because of their concerns I mean, and some quite amusing memes in what is generally um, a rather sad and scary story about this virus.
2: I bet the CEO is really looking forward to speaking to us now. You can save that question for him, Jeff. The Heineken CEO Jean-Francois van Boxmeer will be joining us
5: at 8.20 CET. Uh, Let's get you an update on coronavirus. On that note, Chinese health officials have reported more than 2,000 new cases of the coronavirus in mainland China and 97 virus-related deaths, marking the lowest daily number since January 30th. The virus has been officially renamed by the World Health Organization and will now be referred to specifically as COVID-19. This amid criticism of the term coronavirus, which refers to the group of viruses it belongs to, rather than the specific strain. Jeff, maybe that will help clear up some of the confusion Uh, uh, among the North American Yeah, the trouble is
0: now, we have to decide what we're going to call it, and I don't see people stepping away from coronavirus at this point. Uh, That seems to have captured the imagination. Um, We'll we'll see whether there's any any desire uh, to switch to the new name, which is obviously uh, more scientific. Uh, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell says the central bank is closely monitoring the virus outbreak and its impact. In his semi-annual testimony to Congress, Powell described the U.S. economy as resilient whilst signalling he is content with the current monetary policy stance. However, the Fed chair warned the full impact of the outbreak on uh, American business has yet to be seen.
1: The question for us really is, what will be the effects on the U.S. economy? Will they be persistent? Will they be material? That's really the question. I think we know there will be effects on China through, through some part of the first half of the year, and China's close neighbors and trade, major trading partners in Europe as well as Asia. And we know that there will be some, very likely be some effects on the United States. I think it's just too early to say. We have to resist the uh, temptation to speculate okay. on this. And um, so we'll be watching that carefully again. And the question we'll be asking is, will these be persistent effects that could lead to a material reassessment of the outlook? So,
0: I think that's a question we're all asking. Uh, so maybe Simon French can help us out with that. He's a chief economist at Panmure Gordon. Simon, good morning to you. Good Welcome. To you. For, you're going to be with us for the next couple of hours. So let's let's just start off with this one. Can you, have you got a good sense of what the answer to Powell's question is? What are going to be the medium to longer term effects of this virus?
6: Well, first up, I'd, I'd say Jay Powell did the sensible thing of there are many paths this virus could take from here and he is only going to expose himself to criticism if he were to commit to a path. But that's not very helpful for your viewers. So let's try and do, do a little bit more unpacking of this uh, event in economic terms. So thus far, we know the disruption is limited to China, the surround, the surrounding region in terms of people flows and the impact on industrial output in those areas is significant and will be significant through Q1. The the more interesting thing for investors is how that, A, what broadens in geographic terms, or B extends into in time terms. And I think I wouldn't focus too much on the time angle. Investors are not looking at this in terms of will it impact Q1, Q2 growth if we can catch it up in the second half. It is more the geographical spread and whether we start to see the contingencies that have been, had to be introduced in significant metropolitan areas in China extended to other countries. But what about
0: the, um, the shop floor aspect? I mean, we still look upon China, even though there has been some movement of manufacturing out of the country to lower cost centers. We still think of China, I think, as the world's (coughs) big manufacturer. Companies like Apple and Walmart and others that are reliant on that flow of finished goods there will be some impact, won't there? That w- and that will have an effect then on consumption patterns in developed markets.
6: Yes, uh, you'd have to say also that event is already happening as a result of the trade war. So to some extent, what you're seeing in terms of uh, geographical diversification in your supply chain uh, is something that uh, was triggered by the trump she trade war will be accelerated through this process but what for Chinese authorities they'll need to calculate is uh, to what point they have to make short-term arrangements to stabilize employment growth in their economy but also the strategic play of trying to win market share back not a scenario that the Chinese manufacturing sector have faced for the last 20-30 years.
2: Can I ask you about the mixed information we're getting so far on coronavirus because WHO has stepped up some of its warnings, but China's now changed the way it tracks and records the virus. Mm-hmm. And so what we're hearing are the Chinese that they might be getting to a slower rate of infection, which would be good news. But how much stock do we put into that type of information at this point?
6: Well, for economy watchers, uh, some healthy skepticism around China data is a, is a constant backdrop. So we shouldn't be wholly surprised that there is there's quite a lot of skepticism as to whether we're getting the true picture regarding the infection rate. And this is one of the reasons, going back to Jay Powell's testimony, why he won't want to commit. You know, independent verification of what is going on on the ground is still in fairly thin supply. One thing I, I would say, though, is I think there are enough um, that you want to triangulate your data points. Yes, we have the Chinese official data point, but we also trying to cross-reference that with impacts pe- uh, from people flows cross-border, trade across border where it can be third-party verified with other countries. That stuff suggests that we may be facing sort of a, a sort of a recovery, a plateauing from those very accelerated infection levels. But again, Jay Powell is right. It's probably too early to understand what whether that is going to spike up further or diminish from here. If you look at capital markets' response to SARS and Ebola, the, the two precedents we had, the emerging market currency, MSC, uh, the emerging market index, fell for around 13, 14 weeks on both those occasions before bottoming out and plateauing. So, I still think the capital market uncertainty of this still has some way to run.
0: Simon, you're going to stay with us. We're going to come back and uh, pick up the conversation in just a moment. So, thanks very much for that. Uh, let's tell you a little bit else uh, about what else we're going to do this morning. A top energy official in the Trump administration has told CNBC. Russia is fearful of competition. We'll have more from Frank Fannin, Assistant Secretary Bureau of Energy Resources at the US Department of State. That coming up in a few moments.
2: And a quick look at some of the opening calls this morning. We are chasing a little bit of green, but not a huge amount of direction. We'll be right back after this. More records on the street, Uh, back-to-back win again for the S&P and Nasdaq uh, reaching for fresh records. The market closely watching the Fed, J Powell, and J Powell closely monitoring coronavirus, but at this point uh, still looking for the impact of disruption, describing the U.S. economy as resilient. And that was enough to put a little bit of movement back into U.S. Treasuries that have been a somewhat weak trade, as you've seen those bond yields decline of late on fears around coronavirus. But uh, the market, as you can see, just still chasing a little bit of risk at this point. Uh, The Asian market's picking up. On some of that Wall Street action in trade today. Let's just take a look at the region. Green also across the boards. A solid day for Hong Kong stocks in particular, out in front with a 270 plus point gain, but matched, you can see, uh, closely behind by six tenths on the Shanghai, three quarters of a percent on the Nikkei. So, a very firm day of trade playing out. The oil market, we have also noticed a little bit of movement uh, in this particular part of the market. You've seen a downward trend since the start of this year some of that initial optimism that we might have been having momentum back in the oil price fading on the back of coronavirus but a very solid trade now 1.6 percent higher wti also bouncing this on hopes that uh, once we get through the coronavirus maybe demand will pick up but in the meantime there could also be measures from the producers to trim output the spot gold price on the back foot as you can see uh, with some of the the fears just starting to ease uh, around the reporting from the chinese around the coronavirus at this point
5: juliana All right, so let's switch on to energy markets. Russia remains tight-lipped on its position on oil output cuts proposed by the OPEC Plus technical committee in response to concerns over price fluctuations due to the coronavirus outbreak. Energy Minister Alexander Novak said his country is still studying the decision ahead of the oil producers' next meeting, which is scheduled for March when the previous cuts are due to end. Steve now joins us down in Cairo at Egypt's Petroleum Show, uh, Egypts. Steve, tell us, what have you been talking about? Uh, what's oh, the focus of this uh, show taking place in Cairo?
3: Yeah, everything is the answer to that, Giuliana. Look, the fact of the matter is everything's connected, whether it's US energy policy, whether it's the coronavirus, whether it's the supply issue you talked about with OPEC, and whether it is uh, the production of oil and gas products here in Egypt, which is one of the largest gas producers uh, in the world as well. Look, we know they've had enormous fines here as well, but trying to find customers internationally for the vast amount of offshore gas that has been found and product onshore as well is becoming a problem for just about everyone. Wine as well. It is no coincidence that there is a very large U.S. presence here, uh, a large U.S. presence from the likes of Apache. Now, we normally talk about Apache, of course, John Christmas group, when we look at Permian Basin and the huge increase we've seen in shale production there. Bechtel are here, the U.S. engineering and production company as well, uh, they're here building facilities left, right and center as well. So it's no coincidence that the U.S. is looking for other markets as they see shale production, shale investment perhaps slow down a little bit. But as we've been pointing out with the coronavirus in fact way before the coronavirus there's a lot of supplier products on the market whether it's natural gas whose prices have been hitting multi-year lows or whether it's oil and petroleum products which have been hitting uh, multi-year lows as well so people are desperately worried about not only the demand side of the equation and hence what's going on in china but also the supply issue as well now with that in mind i had on one of my panels yesterday the assistant secretary at the department of energy uh, which of course is attached to the state department as well frank fanon as well someone who Hadley interviewed late last year in November at ADIPEC as well. And of course, he was here talking about uh, alliances in the region, uh, how he sees the political momentum moving uh, in the eastern Mediterranean. But also, I spoke to him after my panel uh, about US competition for selling product on international markets. And we know with the trans-Pacific detente that's gone on between China and the US, the US is hoping to sell a lot more LNG across the Pacific to China. But of course, the coronavirus has potentially Potentially uh, thwarted some of that extra demand that would have come there. So where's the other battleground? Well, we know where it is, and it's Europe as well. US desperately wants to build facility to build uh, LNG facilities to sell product here, but of course they are very concerned uh, about Russian products coming down through Nord Stream and of course Nord Stream 2 as well. So there's a battleground, and it's Europe. And I asked Frank Fannin about that. Listen
4: in. Russia sees what's coming in terms of the US. Energy exports. They see the, I mean, the gas prices in the United States are are tremendously low. They're very competitive, and we're about to double our export capacity of LNG. So they're they're fearful of competition. They similarly, say their gas is similar, cheaper, Similarly, similarly, uh, Eastern Med development. We haven't yet seen these cargoes start going to Europe in the way that they will be soon. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is, they see, they see competition, competition coming from multiple sources, yeah. uh, and they're concerned about that. What's important here to underscore is that when customers, when countries buy gas from the U.S. or from U.S. companies who are operating elsewhere in the world, it's a win-win. There is no long arm of the U.S. government coercing and controlling prices to achieve a geopolitical end. It, they're actually engaged in a commercial transaction that benefits both buyer and seller. That's something that Russia doesn't like to see, and that's why we pr- we promote creating a level playing field and welcome uh, Europe's uh, diversification goals.
3: And so just to reaffirm what I believe the president said on many occasions as well, if you buy US LNG as opposed to Russian gas, this is about a security issue. This is about a stable supplier issue uh, as well as price.
4: Well, the issue, we, we expect that a lot of countries will continue to buy gas from Russia. That's fine. That's, that, that's, that, that's great. So long as it's based on a competitive model. Is there transparency in pricing? Is there even a market? You can't possibly have a market if you have one supplier. That's not a market. There's no competition. What we've seen time and time again is when there's an, even an, an optionality to have U.S. LNG or LNG from other sources... It changes the negotiating, provision, uh, uh, ex- uh, the negotiating uh, position uh, vis-a-vis the Russians. Now Russia has to compete just by virtue of having an option to import. We've seen this in multiple countries. Uh, and overnight, Gazprom drops, drops the tariff for gas imports into those countries. So what we want to do is continue to encourage countries to be open to diversification goals, build the infrastructure necessary to transport energy across, uh, across Europe. And once that happens, even if they choose to purchase from Russia in the longer term, they'll be better for it because their, their, their citizens will pay less.
3: I was uh, Frank Fanon talking to me yesterday about U.S. energy policy in Europe. And, of course, as Jeff knows as well, this is very complicated. The Russians will turn around and say, yeah, if you want to look at price, look at the price of our gas compared with U.S. LNG. They would say it's a lot cheaper as well. But it's multifaceted across the entire region. Uh, and as you all know, the politics and security issues are as important as the price for uh, many of the players, whether you're on the supply or the demand side as well.